Well, today, uh, I'm excited because we are in one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible, believe it or not. It's Jeremiah chapter 31, and it's God declaring through Jeremiah the coming of the new covenant. And it's the middle here of chapter 31, and in fact, it's actually a pretty challenging passage to preach because there is so much that is embedded here into this passage. It's the, culmina- it's the culmination of so much of the Old Testament up to this point. It's pointing forward to Jesus. It's pointing forward through Jesus to the church. It's pointing through the church and into the future of what God's going to do. There's so much that we could talk about. In fact, you guys should all stay for about four hours after church, and we can sit and talk about the goodness of the new covenant, how it's one of the five covenants in the Old Testament. It's not abrogated. It's been inaugurated by Jesus Christ. There's so much to talk about. But... In the interest of time and our relationship, I figure I will take one track through this passage as we look at the new covenant together, and that is to think about this passage as we walk through it, to think about this as the difference between a covenant and a contract. So often, in fact, God always speaks to us and into his people through the language of covenant, and we often think about God and our interactions with him in the language of contract. Now, a covenant and a contract are pretty similar in a lot of ways. There's at least some similarities to a covenant and a contract, but as we'll discuss together and as we'll look into the scriptures together, we'll see there's actually quite a lot of difference between a covenant and a contract, two words that are similar but also have a lot of different meaning. And as we think about the difference between a covenant and a contract, it reminds me of one of the many thousands of mistakes I made when I lived in Cambodia in speaking the wrong word when I should have used a different word. Now, in Cambodia, I got to preach a lot in the Cambodian language in Khmer, and so that was a joy for me and probably hard for the listeners at first. <laughs> it was so funny. My, I listened to my first recordings, and they were just so basic. God loves you. You like sun? God make the sun. You like sky? God make the sky. We pray. And, uh, and so they developed. They developed from there. Uh, they got better, I promise. They got, you know, mostly good. Uh, but one of the sermons, I spent the whole, like the whole point of the sermon was on the peace of the Holy Spirit. The peace of the Holy Spirit. And the word for that is Santa Piep. Santa Piep. And uh, for some reason, I got in my head this other word that means Santa Sok, which means uh, security guard. And so... Santa Piep, Santa Sok, you know, Santa Santa, they mean, you know, sound the same, Santa Piep, Santa Sok. So I spent the whole sermon, like three whole bullet points, you know, and so now we see the strength of the security guard of the Holy Spirit. And then the next point was, and now we see the, du- the durability of the security guard of the Holy Spirit. And I spent this whole time, and you know, even afterwards, they're like, I never thought of the Holy Spirit like a security guard. This is the comments I got back. And I said, what are you talking about, security guard? They said, that's what you said. I said, oh, peace. And it sort of made sense because I talked about how the Holy Spirit guards our hearts. You know, security guard sort of guards our hearts. Talked about the Holy Spirit protecting us and walking with us. And so, the, so it sort of made sense. There was some overlap and it was sort of true. But of course, what I was really trying to say was the deep peace of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, a lot of times we can think about our interaction with God in a similar way. We can think about a contract and a covenant in a similar way. There, there is overlap between a contract and a covenant. But as we'll look at this new covenant, there's so much to what it means that we are called to be in covenant together with God and not in contract with Him. So let's open our scriptures to Jeremiah 31, and we're going to start at verse 31. Before we do, let me pray. Lord, we do pray that you would open our hearts with both the peace of the Holy Spirit and the security guard of the Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our minds to see the words you have for us. These are words that give us life in you. It's never about knowing more information about you, Lord. It's about knowing you deeply. So we do pray that you would help us to know you more deeply, that you would help us to see the beauty of what you've invited us into by your grace and by your love. And so we thank you and praise you. Your holy name, amen. Well, in verse 31, so this is uh, in chapter 31. It's in the chapters between 30 and 34, which is sort of this interlude in the book of Jeremiah called the Book of Consolation. And so we heard this sort of historical progression of Jeremiah proclaiming to Israel, or to Judah, excuse me, that they would be taken into exile. And then by the time we get into the mid-20s and late-20s, there's a remnant that's been taken into exile. And then in between one exile and another exile, so literally in between a rock and a hard place, there's this interlude which is called the Book of Consolation, verse, uh, chapters 30 through 31. And in the middle of the book of Consolation is chapter 31, and the middle of the chapter of 31 is this passage which declares these words, which, like I said, is one of the most significant passages in the whole Bible. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, as, you, as you've probably have caught on by now, the word covenant is a huge word in the scriptures. Anytime you see or hear or read the word covenant in the Bible, it should be like lights are flashing and alarms are going off because a covenant represents a significant movement of God towards his people. Each time that God makes a covenant, it's this creating almighty God that's filled with love that is making a movement towards his people and inviting them into deep relationship with him to know God and to be known by God. And the most significant marks of this invitation, the most significant marks of these commitments that God makes to these people are marked by the covenants. In fact, if you sometimes can get lost reading through the Old Testament, you can sort of lose the forest for the trees. You get into all these stories about different kings and prophets, and they're all important. But one of the ways to keep your bearings as you read through the Old Testament is to sort of hop and skip through the covenants. And so you've got Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and now you have the new covenant. They're sort of giant markers that uh, show up as you read through the Old Testament. Now, the word covenant for us is not a word that we use in common parlance. Unless you maybe work in real estate or are a real estate attorney, you might have a covenant on a title, a covenant on a lien for a mortgage. Typically, we don't use the word covenant quite uh, that much. And so we're often caught thinking of what a covenant is in the idea of contracts. So like there's a contract that has stipulations and requirements. And so that's how we think about a covenant. 
And so we, we do actually see various contracts in the Bible, but deeper than that, we have this idea of covenant. One commentator put it this way. He said, in ancient Israel, a covenant was always different than a contract. A, con- a contract would say, this is yours and that is mine. And we have this relationship as long as the contract is in effect. A covenant, on the other hand, says, I am yours and you are mine. It's an exchanging of life. A covenant is a commitment to a relationship, an invitation into family, and it's based on permanent, true, and abiding love. So we can see that a covenant is much deeper. The contract is about, you get this, I get this. We're friends as long as we abide by the rules of this contract. A covenant is actually a giving of life, a giving of self for someone else. And that's why the best way we can understand covenant, in fact, the best way we can think about the covenant in our present context is the covenant of marriage, which a lot of us know about. Now, as we think about the covenant of marriage, there are stipulations, there are requirements, sort of boundaries in the covenant of marriage. Be faithful to each other as long as you both shall live. Forsake all others as long as you both shall live. Be with each other in sickness and in health. So there's these There's this elasticity that's built into this idea of covenant of marriage where things change. A contract holds to static principles. A covenant changes and moves with life and changing lives. We see that a covenant is the exchanging of lives and selves. It's not just a contract. Now, one of my favorite weddings, in fact, I I would venture to say the favorite wedding I've got to perform, and sorry to embarrass two people in this room, uh, the favorite way, my favorite wedding I got to perform was that wedding I got to do at Evergreen in Evergreen, Colorado at 3 o'clock and still race down the hill with a collar, not getting any speeding tickets, and make it here for service for 4.30. And it was uh, of the Wibbenmeyers back there. And what was amazing about this wedding uh, ceremony was that there was, it was supposed to be outside and it, there was too much snow and it got muddy and you don't want a muddy you know, wedding dress. And so we got moved inside to this tiny barn, maybe a third of the size of this room, maybe even less. And they had this kids' choir, which is a national-level choir that there was no room for. So they put these kids up in a loft. So imagine where the speaker levels are. They had this choir singing. And as we began the ceremony... Uh, we, you know, I started off with some words, and as we began the ceremony, then the bridal march started, and this choir just started singing. And I have to tell you, I was completely unprepared, not only for the beauty that this choir sang, because I was like, oh, these are a bunch of middle school kids. How, how good are they going to sing? I was so unprepared for the beauty that they sang with, but also the gift of being forced inside into this small room and having this choir singing into the loft and sort of enveloping the room with this beautiful and powerful noise. Now, I've done a fair amount of weddings in multiple languages. You know, I've sort of gone through it. And each wedding is important and valuable, but I rarely get emotional at weddings anymore because I'm like, you know, I've I've done this before. This is great. I'm just here to celebrate. Let's let these people get emotional. Well, I'll tell you, as she was marching down the aisle and as we were enveloped with this music and enveloped with this sound, there was something in me where I literally forgot what I was doing. They stopped singing and everybody starts looking at me and say, hey, uh, aren't you supposed to continue there? 
It's because I got lost in the beauty of that moment. And as, as, the, as the singing stopped, there was a pause and you could hear half the crowd. It was the most crying I've ever heard at a wedding. I felt myself having emotion welling up. It was a beautiful, powerful moment. And getting through their premarital counseling, seeing the coming together of two lives and the story that God was weaving together, it was a powerful moment. Now, this happens because marriage is a covenant. Can you imagine people getting that emotional at the signing of a contract? You don't sign for a mortgage and start crying because of that. Well, some of you do because of the payments, but there's a difference between a covenant and a contract. Marriage is a covenant. It's a giving of selves. Now, as we continue on in verse 32, we see even, in fact, the Bible uses marriage to help us understand the covenant Verse 32, I I will make a new covenant with you. Verse 32, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And so we see embedded in the language here in the Old Testament, way back into the time of Jeremiah, that a covenant is about relationship, the giving of lives. That God committed himself to a people and he brought them into his family. And while God was faithful, we know that he was faithful in offering himself to them. His covenant was broken by his bride because they turned to idols. They practiced spiritual deception thinking that they were better than they were. They walked in oppression and injustice and taking advantage of the weaker amongst them. And in doing so over generations, despite God's constant grace... They broke the covenant with him. So what God says is now that you've received some judgment, some partial judgment in exile, I am going to make a new covenant with you. It's a sign of his grace. And as he makes this new covenant with them, he gives them four pieces to this new covenant. And I'll sort of run through them sort of quickly for you. Four pieces, what he says in this new covenant. Verse 33 For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. So immediately we see right away that this new covenant is going to be characterized as part of God's plan, that God will put his law within them, and he will write it on their hearts, that part of his deep plan is to create real and deep change inside of each person. And this shows us that God's covenant, God's covenant is always about deep and real change. And if you compare that to a contract, for instance, it's all about performance. And so up until this time, the people of Israel were really good at this performance idea in their relationship with God. They they approached God like it was a contract. And so there are many times when the people of Israel would come to God and they would do all the ceremonies they were supposed to do. They would do all the outside functions that they were supposed to do. They would even live into the outward reforms that we saw at the beginning of the book in Jeremiah. But they were not living internally the way that God wanted them to live. Because they approached God like it was a contract of performance. 
And by the time Jesus came onto the scene, many of you know this, the Pharisees were there present with Jesus, and the Pharisees actually were so concerned with the performance of this contract with God that they built this hedge around the law. So there was the law here, and then they built hundreds of other laws around the law so that they would not even get close enough to the law to even consider breaking the performance of the law. So they had all these extra commands in the law. And so they were so concerned with contractual performance, but not the internal change of heart within them as long as they met the terms of their contract. The covenant, on the other hand, as we just read here, God's desire and what we see is that there would be a complete change in their hearts, that God wants to change the hearts of those who are in covenant together with him. Now for us, for us, what this means for us in the church is that we do have morals, we do have ethics, we do believe that there should be a coherence between what we say what we sing, what we believe, and how we act, and how we live out in society. But it's never for the sake of maintaining a contract. It's never performative only. It's always in response to God's covenant love, his relationship that he's invited us into that we could know. A covenant that is characterized with the purpose of changing hearts. So perhaps for all of us here, This week, we can wake up in the morning one day, and we can pray to the Lord, Lord, because I believe in you, because I know your spirit is in my heart, because I know you're writing your law within my heart, that you would continue to change my heart and shape my heart from the inside. And if you're here, if you've come from a church culture that emphasizes performing, looking the part, saying the right words going through the motions on the contract. Know that it's not a contract that we have with God. It's a covenant we've been invited into. And one of the big goals of that covenant is that our hearts would change along with God. He would write his law on our hearts that we would change. That's the first thing. Second thing we see, verse 33, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, if you read back into the Torah, into the, old, into the earlier part of the Old Testament, you'll see this phrase pop up several times. In fact, one of my favorite times is in Deuteronomy. Uh, God gives his people all sorts of laws that they need to follow, and, and it's sort of like reading through the laws that he has them follow. is sort of like hiking up a long, arduous mountain trail. And at the very end of all the laws that he gives them, he says, all of this is so that I will be your God and you will be my people. It's sort of like, coming up to the summit of a mountain. It's this idea that God has had from the beginning with Abraham, all the way back to Adam and Abraham. God is creating a people for himself. And you see this phrase that just sort of pops out of the scriptures all through the Old Testament, that I will be your God and you will be my people. So a big part of the covenant is that God is making a people for himself. And anytime this comes up, anytime we see this in the scriptures, We should always take a moment to dwell on this, this idea that God is a God of a people. So he is a God of individuals, absolutely. He's a God that wants a personal relationship with individuals, but he's also a God of a people. And the ways we see God interact with people throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament is he's often talking about a broader set of people, a broader set of people that he's drawn into his family. 
And what this is is an extension of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this communion that he has in the Trinity that's being poured out into his people. And he's inviting people in to know what this communion is like, the people of God. This is why whenever we do anything covenantal related in the church, like the table or a baptism or a wedding, it's meant to be done as a group of people. Because it's a people renewing their covenant together with God. And this isn't, of course, to deny God's reach into our individual lives. But it is also to embrace God's covenant with his whole people, the redeemed. Now, if I could put my pastor hat on here for a second as we think about this point. I'm thankful that many people in North America emphasize our individual and personal relationship with God. That... We don't just live with God in a performative, contractual sense, but it's about actually knowing God and going deeper with Him to personally know Him in our everyday life. You know, sometimes we fall into contract mode where we sort of go through the motions, but I think most people have grasped this concept that we are to know God in a personal way. But when it comes to church sometimes, however, sometimes we can allow the way our culture operates our culture that is driven by contract and consumerism to sort of drive the bus, so to speak, in terms of how we relate to a church and community. It's easy to think of a church sort of in in contractual terms. Here's what I need from the church. Here's what I'm willing to give to the church. And let's work out a contract. As long as we follow the, the lines of this contract, then we're good to go and we're in relationship. Of course, the image that we see from Scripture is that We are called into a covenant community, that God invites us into the divine life of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and invites his people into that divine life together with him. And so it's much deeper than a contract. It's a covenant that God invites us into. And the tangible expression of that covenant right here, right now, is his local body, the church. Now, as a church plant, I think it's somewhat natural that we hold this together. We're all in it together. We're trying to trust the Lord to build something in our midst, to reach out to the community around us, to build us as a community. But I pray, I pray that we never drift into the language and the mentality of contract as we think about the church. But we always think about the church with a mindset of covenant, that God has invited us into his covenant to know him. So that's the second thing, that he would be our God and we would be his people. Verse 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So we know that their hearts will be changed by God writing his law in their hearts. You know that we will invite him into God's family to be his people and him to be our God. And this next point is this really great upgrade that God offers that each person would know God from the least of them to the greatest of them. Now this is a huge upgrade because if you read through the Old Testament, knowing God was mediated. 
Knowing God was mediated because there was God's presence that sat in the tabernacle at the middle of the people, and that was surrounded by all sorts of rules and protocols and priests and offerings, and that was just to the wall of the temple. And then when you went out into the temple, you had different leaders that you would have to talk to before you could even get to talk to a priest. And so God's presence was sitting at the temple in, in, this, in the Holy of Holies, and it was mediated through all these different layers. And if you were just a normal person, you had to go through all these different layers even to get a glimpse of a thought of the thought of the presence of God in your life. But here's this huge upgrade where God says, in the new covenant, all people will know me, from the least to the greatest. You don't have to go through these different layers of leadership. You don't have to go through these walls of the different temple. You don't have to be separated from the holy of holies, but all people will know me, and all people will have the chance to come into my presence. This is a huge, huge upgrade. And we see that in the work of Jesus and the author of the new covenant, that we get to know God personally by the work of his Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we're invited to speak with him and to dialogue with him and to walk along with Jesus in our lives. This is a huge, huge upgrade to the way God interacted with his people. And it's a privilege that we have living on this side of the new covenant through Jesus Christ. So just as we think about that in our own personal reality, do we walk in this reality? Do we exercise this privilege? This is a tremendous and amazing gift that God gives us. He gives us this promise that we can know Him and come into His presence And experience his love, the one that knows every detail about our lives and yet does not reject us but draws us into him. This isn't in my notes, but I I got to hear a talk the other day by a psychiatrist who's also a Christian. And he talked about the the ways in which people grow and the ways in which people feel safe and secure and, and grow into the way that God made them to be. He said the very baseline of our existence as people this happens with a baby and their parent. Is that a baby looks into the eyes of their parent and they're looking for acceptance. They're looking for love. They're looking for connection. And they're looking from present, for presence. And from that connection, from that very baseline connection of being seen, of looking to someone and being seen by them and, being, and, and knowing that you're known by them, a baby develops their very baseline idea of identity and security and safety that is the foundation for them building their identity in the rest of their lives. And he went on, it was this amazing talk, I'll have to link it to you in the email this week. He went on in this amazing talk to walk through the scriptures and show all the different ways that God sees his people and he asked the people to see him seeing them and to be accepted in his presence and to be known by him. And it's this knowing God and being known by Him that builds the foundation for our spiritual life. And from that, we grow into higher levels of thriving spiritually together with God and in the world. This is the gift that God gives us through Jesus Christ in the New Testament, that we are known by Him and that we can know Him. And it doesn't have to be mediated, but that we can go directly to Him through the power of the Holy Spirit and His work on the cross. What a gift. The last element of the old of the uh, new covenant. He says this last thing: "For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more." 
So God promises to remove, and what he promises to remove is what blocks their relationship in covenant connection together. So sometimes, again, we can think about sin as purely contractual. And, and again, there are parts of sin that, that are like a courtroom setting or, or sort of like contractual. They block our relationship with God. And what the Apostle Paul tells us is it's like what Jesus does in justifying us is removing our sin and our shame from us so that we are marked as holy and righteous in God's sight. And we have this amazing exchange that occurs where we give Jesus our sin and our shame, and we receive from him his righteousness, and he wraps us up in his righteousness so that we are able to walk into the presence of God. Now, that is absolutely true. That is forensically true about us, and that alone would be enough. But what we see the new covenant alluding to is that God not only removes our sin and our shame so that we're, quote-unquote, forensically justified, so that we're seen as righteous in his sight, but he moves his, removes our sin and our shame so that we can come into deeper and fuller relationship with him. That's why this idea of removing sin and shame is couched in the language of, for they broke my covenant even though I was their husband. This idea of being brought into this relationship, God removes sin and shame, the impediments and the blocks of living into that covenant relationship. So there's an exchange that happens, but even more, there's this movement that God makes where he draws us into this deep, revitalized relationship with him. So we see this forgiveness that's present in the covenant. So four things that we see there. Now this is great news for us. Here And now I've alluded to it already. But when Jesus came to the earth, he came not only to fulfill a mere contract with people on the earth, but he came to fulfill covenant. That in him, he changes our hearts through the Holy Spirit and invites us to walk with him. He makes us a people for himself and calls us his bride. In him, we can know God in a real way. And in him we have the forgiveness of sins that he offers us. And he removes all shame and all sin that corrupts our relationship with him. Now each week we're reminded of this reality, each week at the table, that God speaks to us in the language of covenant, not in the language of contract. As we come into his presence at the table, he's reminding us that he's drawing us into this deep community of an exchanging of lives, his life he gives for us, so we offer our lives together to him. So I want to invite us, as Christ the King, as we look to Christ the King, the inaugurator of the new covenant, can we live into this covenant relationship together with him and together with each other? Let me pray for us as we continue. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness that you reveal in your scriptures and the reality that's present in your son that we're reminded of each week as we come to your table. Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, make us aware of the work that you've already done. Make us aware of your constant and open invitation to us in our lives. Open our hearts to your Holy Spirit so that we can respond both as individuals, Lord, and as a church. Make us live into this covenant community, we do pray. Let us honor you in all that we do. We pray this in your great and holy name. Amen.